Hello and welcome to another episode of In Depth with Seth and Beth, everyone's favorite podcast from Plymouth Congregational Church in Minneapolis, a time where we take a little deeper dive into the message we heard on the prior Sunday. My name is Beth Hoffman Faith, and I'm the Minister for Congregational Care and Worship, and I'm delighted, as always, to be joined by my colleague, Seth. We are looking at the sermon preached by Reverend Dr. Dwayne Davis, new lead minister at Plymouth Congregational Church. On Sunday, January 17th, the sermon title is A Higher and More Noble Life, and the preaching text with certain verses from Psalm 139. Hi, Seth. Hello. I find it interesting that when you say the name of this illustrious podcast, you say my name first. And when I say it, I say your name first, because we're both so polite. Exactly. But that means that there's no there's no consistency on what this thing is called. We'll so. have to figure that out, I guess. <laughs> I don't think it's important. What sounds better, Seth and Beth or Beth and Seth? I think Beth and Seth. There's, there's, you could, you can get through a little quicker. All right, name it and claim it. I guess it's a, it's in depth with Beth and Seth. I'm, I'm, I'll, we'll go with that. Because I'm sure that this is the things that other people think about and care about. Hi. So this is this is Dwayne's third sermon in a row as he begins his time at Plymouth. So he's had a busy January so far. And after this week, after three in a row, we then return to a more regular pattern, where. Beth, you will preach next week, and then I will, and then then he will, and, and we'll fall back into a uh, pattern between the three of us. So Psalm 139, he read, or part of it was read, but not the whole thing. And so I, in a moment, I'd like to read the part that was missing. I think that's the worthwhile, but do you want to say something about the psalm before I do? Yeah, well, first of all, and I'll say that the reason that only part of it is read is really because of the lectionary. So we, as preachers in the last nine months or so have been following the revised common lectionary. And this is a a certain set scriptures for every Sunday uh, based on a three-year cycle. Now, typically at Plymouth, you'll only hear one of the four texts for the week read, uh, but the whole premise of the lectionary is that if you do follow the lectionary in your church or on your own and faithfully read all four scripture texts each week over the course of three years, you will have covered most of the Bible. However, uh, the lectionary is all, also um, abbreviates or cuts down. So Psalm 139 is a, is a lengthy psalm, and it takes an interesting turn. And the lectionary prescribed verses were the first six, verses 1 through 6, and 13 through 18. And Psalm 139, for those of us who are a little more familiar with scriptures, is a fairly recognizable one. Uh, we use these words a lot at memorial services. It is, as Duane painted, a very intimate portrait of one's relationship with the divine and how God knows us in this deeply personal way. But as Duane lifted up, there's a section of this psalm, the end actually, that is not read or even referred to in the lectionary text. And it takes the psalm on a very different turn. (laughs) It does. Duane at the beginning of a sermon quotes Walter Brueggemann by saying that this is a prayer that does not ask for anything, which is an interesting, a great framework to it. Although there's something about this end 
part that I'm about to read that does sound like maybe something's being asked for, but what it is is maybe not as overt as another thing. So this is verses 19 through 24 from the New Revised Standard Version. Oh, that you would kill the wicked, O God, and that the bloodthirsty would depart from me. Those who speak of you maliciously and lift themselves up against you for evil. Do I not hate those who hate you, O Lord? And do I not loathe those who rise up against you? I hate them with perfect hatred. I count them my enemies. Search me, O God, and know my heart. Test me and know my thoughts. See if there is any wicked way in me and lead me in the way everlasting. Wow. (laughs) Those are some pointed words. And they follow. If you haven't read the full psalm, I would encourage you to do that, our listeners, uh, because the language before these verses is, again, very personal. You have searched me and known me. You know when I sit down and when I rise up. I am fearfully and wonderfully made in your image, O God. And these are sort of these glorious phrases that we like to lift up. But as Duane pointed out in his sermon, these verses not read, they lead us to believe that this writer, this psalmist, has experienced great suffering. Right. Something has happened. And I appreciated Duane's perspective on this, even though I, I guess I sort of wished he would have referenced the line so we would know. Because when I read that, when I hear those verses that you just read, Seth, I think, uh, wow. That sounds vindictive. I mean, when you're using words hate and hatred, yeah, bloodthirsty, kill the wicked. Oh my goodness. Then I, it's easy to want to ignore those verses and not, and then undermine perhaps the wider context of this psalm. And Dwayne put within the sermon, so today as we're recording this is um, the Reverend Dr. Martin Luther King Jr. Day in the United States. It's the 18th of January. And he put those words in context with King. And he talked about how so often we take King's words in, we choose those that serve us best and we put them out there with while ignoring what was said around them, uh, the context that they were set in, and just the underlying violence, oppression, marginalization, and generations of hurt that led to the saying of those words. And put that in context with the psalm, that this was also, there's a lot more to this than the part that we just read. Right. Duane's words made me think about how often we, either those of us who are interpreters of scripture or those of us who believe in scripture literally, tend to co-opt certain verses and put them out there, just using one verse of scripture to prove a personal agenda without paying attention to the historical context of the wider passage, the social context in which it was written. And that's always bothered me. Uh, And I'm also guilty of it. I certainly have done it myself. There are some beautiful lines of scripture, right? That we like to to toss out. Uh, Be still and know that I am God uh, is one that I use all the time. I don't read the whole Psalm every time I write. I referenced that, and I appreciated that Duane made that connection to the way we also tend to co-opt Martin Luther King Jr. quotes. Duane obviously lifted up that right now we love to put out those quotes on social media, and it concerns him, and it should concern us that, again, we're lifting up these sound bites 
because they're beautiful and they're aspirational without really appreciating and embodying the suffering that is behind those words. He says about two-thirds of the way through the sermon, I'm going to read a short paragraph. He says, just as we need to read all of Psalm 139 to understand the true power of the prayer, I hope we read beyond every posted king quote to know the true power of his witness. Behind every speech and every sermon King gave is the lived experience of black lives that were degraded, segregated, victimized, and yes, even killed. And so unless we are willing to know the suffering that gave rise to the words, we run the risk of robbing them of their true power and dulling their light of truth and revelation that's straining to be unveiled. I will say that Duane writes and preaches beautifully and poetically indeed absolutely he, he he just has the most gorgeous sentence structure and you know that really kind of move my moves my heart and i know that that there are other people who are feeling similarly as as they begin to hear his voice i certainly would not ever argue with what duane said there i just want to know what that looks like and yeah. that's my question that i'm left left with absolutely but how do we do that how do we do that authentically how do white people do that well and maybe it's not posed in a question, but maybe it is a question offering us to ask that very thing, that it is not for him to tell us what it is to do, but rather present the need to do that we then have to figure out ourselves, especially as a historically white church that we are, that it's on us to figure out how do we not just acknowledge the things that King said that we like or the Psalms that we sort of can digest and chew, but what are the things that we hold responsibility for, that we hold some culpability for, that we don't like? I don't like the idea that King spoke these things in the face of fire hoses and dogs and beatings and death. I don't like that, but I have to acknowledge it in order to hear his words as being more than platitudes. And knowing that and really facing that and also identifying our complicit nature in that history and in the present, does it change then the meaning for us? Yeah. And I hadn't thought about this till just this moment, actually, but it is not his job as the Black preacher to tell us what we are supposed to do. It is his job to remind us, not because it's the first time we've heard it, but to remind us that this is our work to do, not his. We have a lot of work to do. Yeah. (laughs) We have a lot of work to do. And I'm sure I am not alone in that wondering, ruminating, praying on what is next? What do I do? How do we make the message of this sermon uh, come to life? Because Duane's message to us is from the words of the psalm, from Martin Luther King Jr.'s message, is that we will not know systemic change and a shift until we recognize that God resides in the other, until we look upon another and know that that person is fearfully and wonderfully made and the person standing next to them and the person across the street from them and all the people at the bus stop outside of Plymouth and those who come for community meal and on and on and on until we embody, embrace, and recognize that we are wonderfully, fearfully, gorgeously, beautifully made by God. Until then, we will we are stuck. And to be seen, he, he talks a, a lot about at the end being known, being mm-hmm. seen fully, and not just as this, using again, King as the case, not just as the person who made a quote, 
but as this full human being and known, and that is God's gift to us. He ends the sermon by saying, it is wonderful to be seen and known truly and deeply. That is God's gift to us, which belongs to us and which can never be taken from us, Mm -hmm. the gift of being known. And it is too wonderful Uh being seen for who you are, where you are, where you come from, seeing in your whole fullness and your integratedness is a great gift that God gives us all the time, but we rarely seem to offer to each other. And right before his conclusion, he talks about an awareness of the somebodiness, somebodiness of humanity, an awareness of the somebodiness of humanity, an invitation to recognize God's knowledge, power, and presence in each of our neighbors. Now, this is not a new message. I think that Mm -hmm. actually we have worked hard to proclaim this message many, many times for the pulpit. I think that Duane says it in a new voice, in a new way that perhaps resonates right now with us, for which I'm grateful, the the gift of his phrasing and his words. But I know that as I'm thinking about this sermon and sort of the what next and the takeaway, which is what we always like to sort of conclude this podcast with, it is how do we do that? (laughs) So now what? (laughs) I do. I do. I want a how. I want I want a how. And and yes, I agree with everything you said earlier, Seth, that it is not Dwayne's job to tell us what to do. Uh, it is up to us to figure that out in community and as individually. But uh, man, I want an instruction manual. I, I, I kind of want someone to tell me what to do. Wouldn't that be nice if there was a singular right answer? Well, I believe there are churches who will give that to you if you... Oh, yeah to them, they will tell you what the singular right answer is. Right. Be careful what you wish for. Be careful what you wish for. (laughs) And I know this is my work to do on my own, and it's my work to do within my beloved community, which is Plymouth. So let's get to work. And how about you? What's your takeaway, Seth? I would echo what you said and add to it a bit of the, my work is to, to see people in their wholeness. However, I am able to do that. And oftentimes we only see people in in a very one-dimensional way, or we're only given others in a one-dimensional way. It's the challenge to fill that out. How do I do that? And as we are sitting two days away from an inauguration of a new president with a militarized capital area of all 50 states in the district, an innumerable number of threats, vague and otherwise, about what could be coming, the challenge of trying to know people fully is big and to and to see i don't i'm not even sure i i know what i'm saying other than it's one thing the need to know the other is made more complex and complicated by the many other ways that quote the other are appearing in our world and how do i know somebody who is inspired by the concept of civil war Mm. How, how do i know that how do i see that person fully Right. It was a question asked in our virtual coffee hour yesterday. You know, yeah. how how do I do as the sermon invites us to do with people I don't like, I don't agree with, I think are Dangerous. intent on wreaking havoc and yes, an anarchist. And so and that is oh that is a question of the heart, which we will unfortunately not be able to answer in the last thirty seconds of this podcast. <laughs> What? Now, what's the point, Beth? <laughs> but it's one I'm sure we're going to come back to time and time again. Yes, we will. 
<laughs> that is, I think, the challenge of our of our moment in time. One of our challenges. We have multiple because the old ones don't go away when this new one is presented. The old challenges of of who is oppressed and who is marginalized and how systems and individuals and groups do that is not gone just because we have another layer of existential questioning. And I trust that you gentle listeners will have ideas and thoughts about this too. And we would love to hear from you. Absolutely. Uh, we would welcome a uh, conversation. We would, if you have specific things you'd like us to address, I know that we would be willing to do that too. If you have ideas about how to make these sermons come to life and, and have an answer to the how question that I keep asking, then please let us know because you're part of this conversation. Absolutely. All Thank right. You all. Thanks for joining us for yet another episode of In-Depth with Beth and Seth. Is that right? No. <laughs> it, sounds, it sounds the way I say it. <laughs> oh, I'm so grateful for this time, and I'm glad that you are listening. Pray that you will indeed trust that you are fearfully and wonderfully made, and that when you see and look upon the other, you will trust that they are too. And mask up and be safe for the other as well as yourself. Blessings, everyone.